Mark the eighth chapter, verse number 34 through 38. Amen. Amen. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. Amen. Dave, if anybody comes in after, um, there are some seats up here. We got a couple of seats up here. Uh, just a few. And when they run out, they're going to have to get on the stage. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Mark the eighth chapter, verse number 34 through 38. Glory to his name. Amen. Everybody say, I am a disciple. Amen. If you have it, say amen. Mark the 8th chapter, verse number 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Uh, go back to Verse number 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want to preach or teach from, uh, as a spiritual guide from this subject, the conflict of discipleship, the conflict of discipleship. The conflict of discipleship. I hope you got your pad, your pen, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you got. Uh, if you're in God, you got the iPhone. If you're not, you got Android. And um, so you want to make sure that you got it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. Because we're getting ready to take some notes. We're getting ready to get into the word. Amen. As we are in this discipleship series, we're going to be taught the word of God. Amen. Uh, this text I just read is a very familiar portion of Mark's gospel. It is also paralleled in uh, Luke the ninth chapter and Matthew the 16th chapter. Uh, this text would be considered the crown jewel of the gospel. Because if you could only hear one message in the gospel of Mark, this would be the most important one that you could ever hear because it is the pinnacle of the Lord's teaching. Here in our text are the words of the Lord to sinners, inviting them to come to him, not just for salvation, but discipleship. Let church say discipleship. Uh, uh, if you have been in church any amount of time, you know that every Sunday after the message has been preached, an invitation is given to sinners to come to Christ. In fact, when we get done with this, we will extend an invitation for those who don't know the Lord to come to Christ. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, I love praise and worship. I love prayer. I love preaching. But the most important, uh, important part of the entire service is the invitation. Because the invitation literally changes the destiny and the destination of all of those who accept it. 
That's why I don't like a lot of, we don't need a lot of walking during the time of the invitation. You shouldn't be on your phone and being a distraction at the time of the invitation because the invitation is the time where somebody is going to change their life forever. But there is a stark difference, ladies and gentlemen, from the way the preacher does it and the pattern of this invitation that Jesus gives in our text. Because the problem is we live in such a man-centered and self-centered world that the only way that many people believe uh, on Jesus is that you have to appeal to them from a man-centered and self-centered way. So now you only come to Jesus for health and wealth. Now you only come to Jesus for prosperity and blessings. Now we only come to Jesus for healing and a trouble-free life. And we present Jesus as if he just wants to give you everything that you desire. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, don't confuse Jesus with Santa Claus. And Jesus comes along in our text and says, let me give you the true invitation that shatters all the false invitations. Jesus says, it's got to be deeper than what you can get from me. This is an invitation, watch this, to self-denial, cross-bearing, and obedience. You don't hear them words too much in the church. Jesus is saying, I am inviting you not to just be found but to be faithful. Because many of us have mastered the fact that we've been found. Grace came and found you. You're saved by grace. But Jesus is saying in our text, it's not enough to just be found. Now I need you to be faithful after you've been found. And while this invitation that Jesus gives may seem harsh on the surface, we must first understand that this invitation is gracious. Let the church say gracious. It is gracious because no sinner deserves such an invitation. Truth is, we don't deserve such an opportunity the Lord has given us. Because, let's be real, I know your neighbor ain't going to admit it, but I hope you be honest, all of us are unworthy of salvation. All of us don't deserve an invitation for Jesus Christ. But this invitation that Jesus has given us in our text is a gracious invitation. You know what it's like? It's like God invites me to a party that I don't have the money to attend, the clothes to put on, or a way to get there. But through God and through his grace, he gives us the invitation, buys us the clothes, and picks us up and takes us to the party. God, help me. I wish I had somebody right there. Has anybody ever, remember your BC days, before Christ days, when folks would invite you out and you wanted to get you a nice little good little outfit because you wanted to show them I'm going to do it tonight, but you ain't had the money to put, put together. In fact, you ain't even had the gas money to get there, and you was just trying to get there on a the wing and a prayer. Jesus says, guess what? I don't need you to have a gas money. I don't need you to have an outfit. I'll give you the gas money, and I'll give you the outfit, and I'll bring you to the party because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Somebody lift your hand and say, I thank God for his grace. But even though this invitation is gracious, watch this, it is also severe because it has judgment tied to declining the invitation. It is severe because of the result of not accepting the invitation. Jesus says, if you be ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my father. You act like you don't know me. Right through here, I'm going to say, depart from me. I know you're not when you get over there. 
When you act like you don't know me when you're in the grocery store. When you act like you don't know me when you're in the parking lot and somebody cuts you off. Oh, y'all getting quiet right through here. When you act like you don't know me when you are rude and inconsiderate to other people. He said, get that up, get that together, get that together, because this is severe right through here. Not only is it gracious, not only is it severe, but thirdly, and lastly, it is a difficult invitation. I said it's difficult. I said it's difficult. Salvation is easy. Discipleship is hard. Let me say that one more time. Salvation is easy. Discipleship is hard. This call of salvation from our Lord demands from us the sacrifice of everything we hold near and dear to us. This kind of invitation is uh, uh, consistently what the Lord gives through his gospel. Now, I need to walk through a couple of scriptures, so I need y'all to ride with me. Y'all going to ride with me just for a minute? Come on, let's go to Matthew, the 10th chapter. Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse number 32 through 39. Matthew 10, 32 through 39. Hang a left to Matthew 10, 32, 39. You're almost there. You're up the street. I see you coming down the street. Yes, this is the house right here. Y'all see it? 32, that's the house number. You there? Praise the Lord. Let's pull up in the driveway. Here we go. Uh, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I, him, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. Hope that mess you up. Jesus says, that was the baby me. This is the adult me. Don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Oh, y'all don't know this Jesus right through here. I know you never read this before. You didn't know this Jesus right here. Watch what he says. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to choose who will get your attention and your affection. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, who gets your attention and your affection? I could go there, but I'm going to go there later. All right, let's go over to Luke, the ninth chapter. Luke, the ninth chapter. Hang a right. Luke, the ninth chapter. Verse number 57 and through 62. Luke, the ninth chapter, 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. 
Y'all with me? Uh, we did this one uh, two weeks ago, this text. As they were going along the road, some, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, uh, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't start to follow me, then turn your back. Because if you do that, you're not worthy. He's always, watch this, talking about the price of following him. Because there is a price to follow Jesus. Luke, the 12th chapter, Luke, the 12th chapter. Go over to the 12th chapter, verse number 51 through 53. Luke 12, verse number 51 through 53. Just wanna, I want to build my case so you can see this for yourself. Luke 12, 51 through 53. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Watch this. Stop right there. Uh, again, it is, it is this emphasis that you, that you must pay a price, watch this, relationally when you come to Christ. Everybody ain't going to like you when you start following Jesus. Jesus is not out to separate families. I want to be very clear with you. He's not out to separate families. Jesus is out to expose loyalties. He wants to see where do your loyalties really lie. Jesus wants to know, will you be more loyal to me than those relationships without, with, around you? Watch this. Let's keep going. Um, um, uh, uh, go to Luke 13, verse number 22 through 23. Luke 13, 22 through 24, I'm sorry. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. What is Jesus saying? Watch this. He's saying, this ain't easy. Most times when you come to Jesus nowadays, the preacher makes you feel as if you're going to be on a flowery bed of ease the rest of your life. But is there anybody here that know, when I came to Jesus, it seemed like all oh, hell broke loose in my life. When I really try to serve the Lord, it seems like everything comes against me all at the same time. And I've discovered if you got trouble in your life, it must mean you must be following God real good. Because the enemy is not going to mess with you. Your flesh is not going to mess with you as long as you're doing what you want to do. But the moment you say yes to the Lord, get ready for hell to come knocking at your door. Why is this not easy? Because you have to say no to yourself. You have to say no to your family. You have to say no to the things of the world. You have to say no to the love of sin. See, here's what I've discovered. You know what, I, what I've discovered? People want the kingdom because it's attractive. You know what that means? They want forgiveness. 
they want, they want the blessing. They want peace. They want, you know, give me my money. They want Lord to open the door. They want the Lord to make a way. They want all that because it's attractive. But touch your name and say, it come at a cost. It come at a cost. It, it costs the price. Luke 14, 52. I'm sorry, Luke 14, 25 through 33. Luke 14, 25-33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let me clear this up because I want you to understand this. He does not mean hatred in a sense that despise the people you love. He simply means that you treat them as if they aren't nearly as significant as coming to Christ. Okay. Um, some of us, when we get a boo thing, all of a sudden we don't know God no more. I mean, we will, draw, we will drive across town to take them some fries and won't in, the, in the middle of the night, in the rain, on a snowy day. But you won't come around the corner to come to church if there's a cloud in the sky. God wants to know who's more important to you. Are they more important or am I more important? Because it could be you done turned them into an idol and you're worshiping them. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me keep going. I'm, I'm still in Luke 14. Um, go to verse number 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who sees it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Can I just be honest with you? These are some strong demands. Let's just be real. These are some strong demands. That, that are tied to the invitations of Jesus. In other words, it ain't easy. Can I tell you something? It takes passion. It takes zeal. It takes determination to follow God. It takes a whole lot to follow him. You got to give your all. I said give your all. I said give your all. I said give your all. Not part of you, not piece of you, not a little bit of you, but you got to give your all to follow Jesus takes the work of God operating in your life to break the power, watch this, of a toxic self-will, a toxic self-love. Uh, it takes the power of God, watch this, to break the love of sin that operates in our lives. I, I'm scared that I'm talking to some people that don't think they don't, that they think that they don't love their sin. 
But if we just be real and take the mask off for a minute, we love our sin. I said we love our sin. Oh, y'all going to sit up here and look at me. I'm going to come down your row. We love, we love what we do. Come on. We, oh, don't you sit up here. I can't stand church people that try to act so sanctimonious like they ain't got no problem and no issue. I need some honest people that say every now and again, I love the sin that I do. And I know I'm not supposed to love it. I know it's not God's will for my life. But in my flesh, there's something on the inside of me that draws me to it, that makes me hunger and thirst after it, that makes me want it. God is saying it takes the power of God to break that off your life. The love of iniquity that brings you to the place, watch this, that you submit in obedience to God. So why does God through all this, why does God through all these scriptures, why, why do we go through all these scriptures to show you that this was the consistent way that the Lord gave an invitation? Now let's go back to Mark the 8th chapter. Let's work out Mark the 8th chapter. And let's look at this passage, which emphasizes this invitation. The principle here, um, you might need to write this down. The principle here is winning by losing. The principle is winning by losing. How do you win? By losing. The principle here is winning by losing. It's a paradoxical principle. It's gaining by divesting. And there are three elements to what the Lord lays out in Mark the 8th chapter. I'm only going to deal with the first element on this morning. And that first element is the invitation. The invitation. Um, I'm sorry. The first element is the principle. I'm sorry. The principle. I want to deal with the principle of this invitation. The principle of this invitation. What's the principle? Mark the 8th chapter, verse number 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay. Now, you have to understand, let me set the context for the text. You have to understand something. You have to understand what Jesus, why Jesus is saying this, and what happened right before this. Okay. Um, earlier in the same text, if you go back up where you're at right now, you will see that Jesus gives his disciples that's walking with him a pop quiz. And he asked him, hey, I got a pop quiz for you. Who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah, some say, okay. I, I don't worry about that. Let me, let, me, let me dig this out a little closer. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He asked everybody. Peter was the only one that spoke up. Peter said, speaking on behalf of the disciples, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Now, I need y'all to see this. This is a high point. It's a high point. This is, this, is, this is a high point in their relationship with Jesus because they have come to understand that Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the promised Messiah. This is a euphoric moment. You know euphoric moments. When you come to church and it's real high and you feel the presence of God and you feel, and you feel goose pimples and you walk out feeling like you are invincible. You know what euphoric means. You know, you know that high feeling in God that when you are really in God and you fasting and praying and you just feel, hey, glory, I give you glory. 
He can Messiah. Thank you. You're so wonderful. You're so great. Come on. Y'all know what euphoric mean. You know that high feeling. Y'all don't know that high feeling in God? Lord, some of y'all look so sad. You don't know that high feeling in God? That when God gives you what you need and everything seems to be going wonderful and seems to be going great and it can't nothing stop you. You go and work and got all the devils around you and they can't even block you or stop you. You still got your, you got your praise music on as you're driving down the street. I know y'all don't listen to praise music in the morning. You listen to all kind of stuff. But you got your praise music going and you're just feeling that, feeling good on the inside. And Jesus says, uh, I'm glad you feel good. I need to let you in on something. They are feeling this way. Watch this. Because after two years of following him, seeing his miracles, after living with him 24-7, they are now convinced that he is God in the human flesh. Uh, the disciples are feeling great. Because in the same chapter, if you look a little higher, you'll discover first that he feeds thousands. Okay? And then right after that, the text says that he heals a blind man at Bethsaida. At Bethsaida. Now, that's, that's amazing. Same text. Heal, he feeds thousands. Heals the blind man. Why are we feeling euphoric? You know why? Because we love mountaintop feelings of the blessing. We love the mountaintop, God help me. But we struggle with the valley experience of discipleship. Okay, I got to come for you now. See, see, we love when we, when we feel like God is making a way and opening doors. We love that when he keeps all the, the bills paid and we got our head up and everything is wonderful. We love when the children are acting right and my spouse ain't getting on my nerves and they're just doing everything that I want them to do. We love that moment. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, 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 I know you like the mountaintop, but it's not in the mountain that, you, that you're going to get what I need you to get. It's down in the valley where you learn who you really are are in God. And is there anybody here that say, I've had a lot of mountaintop experiences, but it's in the valley where I learn who God really is. I learn in the valley he's a way maker. I learn in the valley that he'll keep me. I learn in the valley that he'll keep my mind. That's what God is after. Here's the problem with the saints. Here's the problem with the saints. Here's the problem with the saints. Here we go. Here's the problem with the saints. We don't want valley. We want mountaintop. You know how I know? Because when you start going through the valley, you don't come to church no more. Because long y'all got real quiet on me, and I could care less. I promise you, I came with backup this morning. Because some of y'all need to understand that God is saying, if I'm only going to bless you, then I'm not much God to you. But if I could take you through the valley, if you could go through the valley of the shadow of death, if you could go through the valley of dry bones and realize that I can make dry bones come up to life, even in the valley, now I have proven to you that I am God. Why? why? Because do you know the enemy can bless you? But can the enemy keep you in the valley? That's the difference. God is saying, I need y'all to come on up. Come on up. You with me as long as I'm feeding you. You with me as long as I'm opening up blinding eyes. You with me as long as I'm paying your bills. You with me as long as I got you the car. You with me as long as everything is wonderful. But what happens when you get in that valley? What happens when them children start cutting the food? What happens when, when, when your spouse ain't acting right? What happens when you got more months than money? What happens? 
What happens when you go to the doctors and the doctors don't give you a better report? What happens then? Because I need to know, am I just God when I'm healing you and blessing you and bringing you out and giving you money and, and opening the doors and giving you jobs? Or am I God when you lose the job, when you got hell on your job, when people don't like you, when people are rejecting you? Am I still God then? Watch this. And he says, watch this, verse 31. Don't get comfortable riding high. Do me a favor. Touch your neighbor. Say, neighbor, don't get comfortable riding high. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all, don't speak that over my life. Honey, it's coming. It is coming. It is coming. It is coming. You can rebuke the winds and the waves all you want to, but there is a storm that got your name on it. Come on. You can try to get out of it as much as you want to. You can try to dance your way out. You can try to praise your way out. You can try to hikamashai your way out. But at the end of the day, there is a storm with your name on it. But God says, even if I take you through the storm, if you stand flat-footed, you'll get through this thing. Touch somebody around you and say, you're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. Ah, oh, don't you give up now. You will get through this storm. Even if you got to go through it, you'll get through it. He says, watch this. Verse 31 says that the Son of Man will suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and watch this, and be killed. But after three days, I'll rise again. And because this is so contrary, to everything that the disciples believed and everything they had hoped for and everything they had expected, the text says in verse 32, it's in your Bible, that Peter rebukes Jesus. Ain't this something? Ain't this something? Ain't this something? I, I love this. You know why I love this? As a pastor, I love this. Let me tell you why I love this as a pastor. Anybody that becomes a pastor, let me tell you why I love this. Because... The student always gets out of place and tries to tell the teacher how to teach. And you don't know the whole story. Let that settle just for a minute. Uh, Peter rebukes Jesus. Tell Jesus, no. Mm -mm. No, no, Lord. You got it wrong. That's not the way it's going to be. You're supposed to establish your kingdom right here on earth. You're supposed to kick Rome out. You're supposed to regulate up in here. You're supposed to get this thing together. Nah, this ain't how it's supposed to be, Lord. Now watch this. Why is he rebuking Jesus? Watch this. Because we don't have a problem with the promises of God. We just don't like the process it takes to get to the promise. We, 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 don't, we don't have a problem with the promises of God. We just don't like the process that it takes to get to the promise. I, I want you to know something. You got a promise over your life, but tied to that promise is a process. See, we love resurrection. That's the promise. But we don't like crucifixion. That's the process. Preach, Philip. We love joy will come in the morning. That's the promise. But we don't like weeping endures for a night. That's the process. We love we will reign with him. That's the promise. But we don't like if we suffer with him. That's the process. We love the blessings of God. That's the promise. But we don't want the breaking process that it takes to get to that blessing. That's the process. And God is saying, you got to go through the process in order to get to the promise. 
promise. I came to talk to somebody in here this morning that say, I'm here the first Sunday in June, and I'm going through the process that God got me through. But if I just suffer a little while, I'm going to reign with him. If I just weep for the night, joy is going to come in the morning. I got to go through my process. You got to go through your process. You got to go through your process. You can't, you can't exempt yourself out of the process. You got to go through your process. There is a process that comes along with your promise. Jesus tells Peter, look at this. Get behind me, Satan. You have man's interest in heart, not God's. You're only interested in the glory. You're only interested in the blessing, Peter. But God requires the cross. There will be no kingdom. There will be no, no blessing if there is not a sacrifice. Something has to die in order for something else to live. And God says, if you want the promise, you must go through the process. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And then he says, by the way, if you follow me, watch this, there's a cross for you too. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Um, in other words, there's no, there's no glory without suffering. There's no crown without a cross. And here comes the invitation. If anyone wishes to come after me, it's an open invitation. Look down your row and tell everybody on your row, it's open to you too. It's open to you too. It, it's, not, it's not regulated to the pastor. It's not regulated to the ministers. It's not for the deacons. It's not for the praise team. It's not for the greeters. It is for anyone who wants it. It's an open invitation. Uh, if you want to come after me, there are three ingredients to that commitment. Here's the first ingredient. Write this down. Number one, self-denial. Self-denial. You got to deny yourself. Self-denial. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Let the church say self-denial. Say it one more time. Three times for the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I want you to get comfortable with saying that. What does that mean? What do you mean, deny yourself? In the original Greek, this is a very strong statement that he's making. It literally means, you ready for this? To disown. To refuse to associate with. To refuse to be in companionship with. It means to separate. And the one you separating from is you. Oh, God. What you are saying is, I no longer want to associate with the person that I am. See, you can only make this statement when you realize your sinfulness. You can only make this statement when you realize your depravity. You can only make this statement when you realize your selfishness. You can only make this statement when you realize your impotence. When you, you can only make this statement if you realize in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Jesus is inviting us to disassociate ourselves from all that we are, all that we have, all that we desire, all ambition, all possession, all self-will, all plans, all agenda. I refuse to associate with all that I am. I know y'all don't like this, but you're going to take this uh, castor oil this morning. You're going to take this Phillips 360 this morning. 
you're going to take this medicine this morning because this is the only true way to discipleship. Hate the bus show bubble. Discipleship is not working in church. Because do you know you can work in church and be a demon? Do you know you can work in church and tear up the whole ministry while you're there? Do you know that? So working in church is not discipleship, my brother, my sister. It is not you standing on the door. Because if you're not a disciple, you can stand on the door and hate the people you're hugging. That's not discipleship. It's not discipleship to, 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 to be on the praise team and you're singing over people that you don't even like. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is a, is a higher level. It has nothing to do with what you do in church. How you live your life day in and day out. Touch, your, touch yourself and say, I am a disciple. Okay, let's, let's, let's get this. Um, Jesus says, to deny yourself means to disassociate yourself. Watch this. You know what I've learned about the saints? Here we go. Real talk. We got a real good, clean cutoff score. I'm going to hit some of y'all with this microphone so bad. Because some of y'all sitting up here acting like I ain't talking to you. You know some of us got a clean cutoff spirit. You do me wrong, I'm cutting you off. You say the wrong thing. That'll be the last time you say that to me. Am I talking to anybody that could just be honest and say, Pastor, I know what you're talking about? You did me some kind of way, so now I'm going to cut you clean off. And here is what Jesus is saying in this text. He says, when you deny yourself, he says, learn how, just like you cut them off, cut yourself off. When you look at your flesh and see how your flesh did you wrong, cut that off. Y'all don't like that because this world has told you how wonderful you are. You're so wonderful. You're so great. You got it all together. Look at you. Your hair's quaffed just nicely, you know. You got it. You got your nails. You got everything just wonderful. Got your nice little bag. You got, you doing the doggone thing. You got some nice shoes on. Got you a nice little car. Got you, a, you behind a gated fence now. I mean, you living better than you've ever lived before. You know you the one from the hood, from the projects. And look at you. Got multiple bedrooms now when all y'all used to live in one bedroom back in the day. And because it has lulled you into thinking that success must mean I'm blessed. No, honey, success don't mean you blessed. Success means you know how to work that thing. Is there anybody here that know what I'm talking about? And God is saying, I need you to look at your sin, to look at your depravity, to look at how messed up you are, and say, I need to disassociate myself with that. I need to cut that off. Just like I, I deleted their phone number because they made me mad. Just like I unfriended them. He says, unfriend your lion. It's getting real tight up in here. It's getting real tight. It's getting real tight. It's getting real tight. I'm a bulldoze right on through this because it's getting real tight up in here. Because I don't think I don't like the way y'all looking at me in that tone of voice. I just don't like it. I don't like the way y'all looking at me because you're getting mad with me. But I'm here to let you know this is God. And while I'm giving it to you, He giving it to me at the same time. He said, take that sin and disassociate yourself. Act like you don't even know it anymore. You cut everybody else off. Why don't you cut that flesh off? Fall out with your flesh, because your flesh did you wrong. Your sin did you dirty. Fall out with it. It gives the same connotation. Watch this. This statement gives the same connotation, just like when Peter denied Jesus by saying, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Jesus said, 
deny yourself just like that. I don't know that. I don't know that man. I don't know who that is. Have you ever had a moment where you did something and you like, where did that come from? Some stuff in you that you didn't even know was there? You like, huh? Has anybody ever done something where you're like, I didn't even know I was capable of doing that? God ain't got no honest church this morning. He says, watch this. Jesus is inviting us to do the same thing. I don't know the man that I am. Watch this. I disown myself. I don't want anything to do with that man anymore. Self is cast away and everything submits to Christ. His purpose, his plans, and his will. When you come to Christ, you deny yourself. You reject all that you are. This is what true conversion looks like. When you see your sinful, when I see my sinful heart and abandon myself for the sake of the relationship in God, giving up my independence, giving up my trust in self, giving up my confidence in what I am by nature and decide to depend on Christ and Christ alone. Go to Galatians, the second chapter, verse number 20. Galatians, the second chapter, verse number uh, 20. Galatians 2, verse number 20. Y'all still with me? Galatians 2. Verse number 20. Galatians 2, verse number 20. Here we go. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What am I doing? Watch this. I'm living, but it's Christ living in me. You know Christ living in you when you speak to people that you know talking about you. You, you, you know Christ is living in you when, when, when you got a piece of gossip, but you just can't even release yourself to say it. Okay, let's go. You know that Christ is in you when you did wrong and that thing convicts you so bad that you go back and apologize for what you did and didn't do all at the same time. You know Christ is living in you because that ain't you. Because come on, let's go back. B.C., before Christ, you would do stuff and could care less. In fact, you felt good after you cussed them out. ain't got no real people. I'm going to preach to five of y'all today because some of y'all, you on this sedity bus that you trying to act like I ain't talking to you. See, some of y'all know it felt good to cuss them out, but now when you do that kind of stuff, you don't even feel good about it anymore. Something convicts you to the place that you got to come back and say, you know what? I didn't say that right. I'm sorry. I messed that up. You know, you, I said that cross. I'm sorry. Is there anybody in here that ever had to go back to somebody and you felt like you did something wrong and they come back and you like, I don't even know what you're talking about because God will work on you in such a way that you just can't and leave stuff out there and makes and keep these blunders and keep messing up all over the place because it's not no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm exchanging my life for his life, my will for his will, my plans for his plans. I subject myself to the power of Christ to change me. I subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ and reject self-sufficiency and self-will. You are the Lord of my life. You, God, are in charge of my life. You, your will, your desires, your plan, your purpose, that's what I want in my life, not anything else. I don't want anything that I can conjure up. I don't want my emotions to get ahead. Watch this, because you know what the saints do nowadays? Let me just bust this up. The saints now take your emotions and, tell, and say that's God. Because you feel some type of way, then God must feel that some type of way. What did God say? Mm. 
watch this. So I want to show you another thing. Go over to Philippians, the third chapter, verse number 5 through 8. Philippians 3, verse number 5 through 8. Paul lays out his resume, his credentials. But he comes to a realization, even in his credentials. Philippians 3, 5 and 8, 5 through 8. Look what Paul says about his credentials in Philippians 3, 5 through 8. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which is royalty. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I know the law in and out. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness uh, under the law, blameless, I did them all right. But whatever gain I had, I counted it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the suppressing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, I don't care what I've achieved. It means absolutely nothing. I don't care what I've achieved. It means nothing in comparison to gaining Christ as my Lord and as my Savior and becoming his disciple. So I can get the big house. I can get the, the nice car. I can get the clothes. I can have the image on Facebook. I can put out on social media that I'm large and in charge. I'm a boss. I can put all that out. Paul says it matters not in comparison to gaining Christ as, as his disciple, as I'm his disciple. Nothing I've achieved is worthy of salvation. Nothing I've achieved is worthy of forgiveness. Do you know you don't have a amount in your bank account right now that could pay for the sins you've committed? I don't care how much money you think you have. There is nothing that you could ever pay that could suffice for the mistakes that you've made. Come on, there's some of you that say, I ain't got enough money to pay for the sins I did yesterday, let alone five years ago. But I thank God that I'm saved by faith through grace. I am saved because God died on that cross for me and he took on something as a substitutionary atonement. He did something for me I couldn't do for myself. And so it doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter if I get married or not doesn't matter and how big my house is when I got God in my life that's the greatest thing that ever happened for me so because of this I abandon all self effort I acknowledge Christ as Lord and I turn my life over to him his ambitions become mine his will becomes mine his purpose becomes mine you know what Here's what I discovered. I can't come up with plans for my own life and then try to convince God that that's his will. Because that's what we do. We come up with plans for our own life and then try to convince God that's your will. And then get mad with God when he don't bless it. God said that was never my plan. I can't allow my feelings to direct my footsteps and then ask God to bless it. Self-denial says it's not about what I want but it's about what God wants for my life. Why? Because no good thing dwells in my flesh. And because no good thing dwells in my flesh, I must deny it. I said because no good thing dwells in my flesh, I must deny it. I said because no good thing dwells in my flesh, I must deny it. Because when you know how sinful you are, when you know how wretched you are, 
when you know how flaky you are, when you know how inconsistent, how low down, how no count, how manipulative you can be, when you know how incapable you are of pleasing God, I must deny myself. I done got myself in enough trouble that I've learned by now I got to turn it over to God and deny myself so that God can lead me and direct me. Because is there anybody like me? I ain't got enough time to keep making mistakes that I've been making. I got to surrender my will to God and do it his way. So, pastor, how do I deny myself? Because that sounds real good, but give me some application. How do I deny myself? So glad you asked me. Go over to Psalms 34, verse number 18. Psalms 34, verse number 18. Yes, Lord. Psalms 34, verse number 18. Psalms 34, verse number 18. You got it? Here we go. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Go over to Psalms 51, verse number 17. Psalms 51, verse number 17. Lord is near to the broken heart and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalms 51, verse number 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. How do you deny yourself? Break your spirit. Come to the place that God, come to a place with God that you realize you have nowhere to turn and have reached the end of yourself. And watch this, not pursue happiness, pursue holiness. God help me right there. See, too many of us are trying to pursue happiness but never try to pursue holiness. We want to be happy. So give me more money to make me happy. And you got more money, you're still miserable. You know what I've discovered about the saints? The saints are living better than they have ever lived and still ain't happy. This is the highest paying job you ever had. This is the largest house you ever had. This is the most clothes you ever had. This is the most food you ever had. And you still are not happy. And God is saying, for the saint, for the disciple, for the one that believes in me, I don't need you to pursue happiness. I need you to pursue holiness. I need you to pursue the way that I've set out for you. I need you to separate yourself. I need you to come out from among them and be separated. I need you to live the life that I've called you to live. Because happiness will get you in somebody's bed that you don't need to be in. But holiness will keep your self-respect. You sit on me if you want to. You sit on me if you want to. Happiness will get you that bigger car. But holiness will say, let me tithe, and God will bless me with a car that's at a lower interest rate. See, that's what God is after. He's after holiness, not happiness. Too many of us trying to be happy. We just want to be happy. sing for whole hours. We 
just get you to open your mouth and say thank you. God has to open every door the way that you want it to be opened in order for him to get a little praise out of you. God is saying, see, over in holiness, when you do it the holy way, when I'm pleased with how you live your life, everything becomes a praise. Every time you turn around, there's a praise. Car breakdown, they go a praise. Ain't got enough money, they go a praise. Why you praise they ain't got enough money? Because I serve a God that is faithful, and I serve a God that can supply all my needs. So I'm praising him even though I ain't got the money because I know that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and I know it's just a matter of time before he opens the door and makes the way so I can praise him before it even happens. That's holiness. That's holiness. I'm not going to live miserable because I ain't got nobody. I'm going to live my best life single. Uh, see, I ain't got nobody right there. I got too many single people in here that's looking at your life. Oh, I ain't got no, oh, it's me. I wish I had me somebody. All right, you go make yourself happy and hook up with a fool if you want to and mess up your life. But I don't need to be happy. I need for everything to be holy. I need everybody up in here to be holy. If you're going to be in my life, you better be holy because it's going to come a day. I need you to pray for me. It's going to come a day. I need you to turn your plate down for me. And if you're just trying to be happy, you can come and go, but holiness is right. He's saying, the broke, you got to break your spirit. You got to break your spirit. That, that spirit of pride, that spirit of arrogance, that spirit of arrogance, that spirit of arrogance, that spirit of arrogance, that you got it all together, can't nobody tell you nothing, that spirit of arrogance, that spirit of pride, you know, God is saying you got to break your spirit because the, if you don't break your spirit, you will never get to a place where you can deny yourself. Watch this. You got to pursue happiness, not, and not, uh, you got to pursue not happiness, but holiness. You got to not try to build your own positive self-image, but be conformed into the image of Christ. You are spending your time trying to build your own positive self-image. Watch this. So here's what you do. Because you have gone through so much in your past and people have rejected you, made you feel less than, made you feel like you are not, you don't belong, watch this. Because of that, now you spend your time trying to build yourself up. And God is saying, if you just conform to my image, I'll give you everything that you need. I, I, don't, I don't need you to seek after affirmation and validation from people who can never give it to you. I validate you. I affirm you, and when I validate you, and when I affirm you, even if they don't like you, you still walk in like you you got it going on, because I don't need you to feel good about me as long as he feels good about me. That's all that matters in the long run. We're pursuing the wrong stuff, and because we pursue the wrong stuff, we can't break our spirit. So we walk around proud, in pride. We walk around in arrogance. We walk around like we got it going on, and here's what God does. Here's what God does. God brings you to a place to remind you over and over again. Here we go. That you ain't got it together. Has God ever busted your bubble? <laughs> oh, God help me. Has God ever come along and you walking around like you so muchy muchy and he had to remind you that you ain't got it? No, 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 no. Come on down. Come on down. Come on, come on down. Come on down. I mean, you, 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 you know when you, it's like this, like this. It's like when you got that new outfit and you put it on, and you feeling real good, and you go out the house, and you know you got it going on, and people saying how good you look, and then all of a sudden somebody say, hey, you left that sticker on your arm. <laughs> and you look at yourself like, I was so foolish. I've been walking around all this time 
with that big old sticker going down here saying what size it is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And God says, sometimes I got to come along and bust you out for you to realize you can't do nothing without me. God, help me. I got to come along and realize if I don't put my hand on your life, if I don't open the door, it will never happen. I got to come along and let you realize you got to stick on you. Touch your neighbor so you got to stick on you. try to seek after happiness when you should be seeking after holiness. We try to seek after positive self-image when we should be conformed to the image of Christ. That means we should look Christ-like, sound Christ-like, do what Christ did. We should be conformed to the image of Christ. Watch this. Here's another one. We seek after affirmation instead of seeking to be anointed. You don't hear the same somebody they want to be anointed anymore because anointing makes you go through the process of being crushed. So we want affirmation. Tell me how wonderful I am. Tell me how great I am. Oh, you got it going on, Deidre. You, you just got it going on. Girl, you, you got it going on. And God is saying, if you seek to be anointed, watch this, I'll let your fruit speak for itself. Nobody has to tell you how wonderful you are. Whatever you put your hands to will be blessed because you got the anointing on you. Why you don't seek to be anointed? Why don't you seek for God to give you empowerment, that's what anointing is, to the place where it will be no denying that God must be in your life. That's what God is saying. Stop seeking for affirmation, for everybody to, to, to sing your cheers and seek to be anointed. And I'll, watch this, and I'll start opening doors you didn't even know were closed. Because, watch this, because the anointing, when it's on your life, what devil can stop you? What enemy can block you? Can I tell somebody this? I hope you can handle this. God told me to tell you, you so anointed, you getting ready to shift everything that happened in your family. Come on. There is an anointing on your life that while the other ones were living one kind of way, God says there's anointing on your life that if you keep seeking after it and pursuing it, I'll turn your family upside down right through you. I need somebody here to lift your hands and say, I'm anointed for this. Anointed to raise this child. I'm anointed to be married to that man. I'm anointed to work that job. I'm anointed. Come on, God is saying, stop seeking after affirmation. Nobody ain't got to build you up, but when you got the anointing over your life, you know who you are. I'm anointed. Watch this. God says, This is where I will meet you in your brokenness. When you break yourself, when you take your heart and agree with God about the true condition of your heart. Can I ask you something? last time you came to church and said, God, get this unforgiveness out of my heart. When was the last time you came to God and said, God, I'm really unfaithful? When was the last time you opened your heart up and said, God, get this hatred out of my heart? I hate you. See, some of y'all can't even admit that, that there's somebody in your life you hate. You hate to see them coming. You hate the sound of their voice. You hate when they walk by. Come on, come, oh God, am I talking to anybody that know what I'm talking about? That there's some people, you just like, they, they make your flesh crawl. You know, they just do something to you as soon as you walk by. And that's the moment, if you really want to be broken, to stop and say, God, help me with that hatred right there. Because it don't please you. And just because you ain't told nobody, don't mean that it's pleasing to God. It's the secret sins of our heart that God is after. When I go to God and say, God, help me with my inconsistency. 
Here's another one. When I go to God and say, I don't know how to manage money. Mm -hmm. Here's one I had to struggle with. I had to struggle with this one. Transparent moment. I had to struggle and tell the Lord one day, I don't know how to be a good friend. I just, I just I came to that place. I just, I'm me. I didn't know how to be a good friend. Because I've learned that sometimes you can become one, so one-sided that it's all about you it's about, and it's not about anybody else. So I had to ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Teach me how to be a good friend. Because you're a good friend to me. You're a friend that sits closer than a brother. But I don't know how to be a good friend. Why don't you ask the Lord, Lord, help me because I stray from my commitments. I say I'm going to be dedicated one day. Two weeks later, I'm distracted or I'm defeated. Here we go. How about you pray, Lord, help me. We talking about what's in our heart. Help me because I hurt people with my words. I hurt people with my words. In fact, when I get to speaking, it's like venom comes out of my mouth. Here we go. Another one. My reactions are not Christ-like. Somebody said the other day, um, you know, I know how to love people. It's just my face. Not what that's the problem. I know he delivered your soul, but he didn't deliver your face. See, that's a heart issue. That's a heart issue. Stop talking about who's, who's gay and who's sleeping with who and who's doing this. No, let's talk about what's in the heart. Because God said, if I can get it out the heart, I can make you live the way I want you to live. This is what we don't preach no more. We don't talk about this kind of stuff. Heart issues. Heart issues. Why don't you ask God, God, I hate all women. I just don't do females. I just don't do females. No. There's some hatred in your heart. Ask God to help you with that. I know I'm teaching. You know how I know I'm teaching? Because they done got real quiet. you ask the Lord, Lord help me because I'm more faithful to the TV than I am to the house of God. You will lose it if you miss your favorite show. But miss church for a whole month and could care less. I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. You thought I read that for just happenstance? I came with a sword. Because God said I got to cut off all that stuff that don't please me. I got to cut it all off. Because you're going to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself. Lift your hand and say, Lord, help me deny myself. God shows up when you get to the place that you don't trust yourself and desire to be dead to sin and alive to God. God says, when you stop trying to live your life, driven by your own will and surrender yourself to my will and obedience, then I will draw you closer. Go over to Luke, the 18th chapter. I'm trying to cut this off. I'm not even going to get to point two or three today. I'm just going to deal with this. Luke, the 18th chapter, verse number 19 through 14. Luke, 18th chapter, verse 9 through 14. Sorry. Luke, 18, 9 through 14. Verse number 9 through 14. 
you have it, say amen. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, uh, adulterers, or even like this tax collector that's standing next to me on this altar. I fast, I fast twice a week. I give tithes all of all that I get, just in case some of y'all say it's not in the New Testament. There's another place that it's in the New Testament, okay? I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Tax collector feels so unworthy under the weight of his sin that he cries out to God, God, be merciful, merciful to me because I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. I never understood that growing up. My grandmother would always say, have mercy. Anybody had a grandma like that or somebody in your family always say, have mercy? And I never understood what that meant, have mercy. I'm like, grandma, why you always say, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy? Especially when it was lightning and thundering outside. Have mercy, Lord. But this, the, the man here says, under the weight of all my sin and what I know I've done wrong, I need the Lord to have mercy on me. Pharisee is saying, all I need is justice. Look what I've done. Look how wonderful I am. And Jesus said it was the tax collector who went home forgiven and justified, not the Pharisee. God is saying, watch this. To deny yourself means you are willing to release everything to, to and for Christ. You're willing to release all your relationships, all your ambitions, all possessions, all desires. Because when you deny yourself, you take Christ on his terms and not yours. I said, when you deny yourself, you take Christ on his terms and not yours. Not Christ and your pleasure. Not Christ and your plans. Come on, disciples. Not Christ and your immorality. Y'all want me to go there? Not Christ and your boo thing. Not Christ and your drinking. Not Christ and your clubbing. Not Christ and your backbiting. Not Christ and your whoremongering. Not Christ and everything else you want to do. It is Christ on his terms and not yours. He says to be crushed and broken is to be so desperate that they're willing to give up anything and everything for what Christ provides. And this has to become a way of life. Watch this, I'm done. As you grow up like a tree, you grow in your faith. While you're growing up, you need roots to be going down. The reason why a tree still stands after a storm is because their roots grew deep to ride out the storm. And a disciple will have the ability when your roots grow deeper to ride out the storm. 
touch three people around you and say, right out the storm, right out the storm. You got to get so deep in your faith. You got to get so deep in your dedication. You got to get so deep in your faithfulness. You got to get so deep in going after God that you have the roots in them to ride out the storm. That's the reason why some of us got praise and others don't because we got our roots dug deep down in the ground that no matter what comes my way, I'm still standing. Is there anybody in here that say, I done gone through some stuff with God and I done came out on the other side still standing and that's why I got a praise on my lips because I serve a God that let my roots go deep while I was growing up. why you got to get in the word so you can grow deeper. This is why you got to come to prayer so you can grow deeper. Can I say this? Pastor moment. Love y'all. Pastor moment. Men, I don't see enough of y'all in midweek service. That scares me because men are supposed to be the one that are out front leading everybody else. I need for the men to be in midweek so that you can learn the word as well. Amen? Back to the message. Watch this. Arthur Pink, Arthur Pink, who is a uh, theologian, Arthur Pink says this, and I want you to hear this, and I'm done. Uh, Arthur Pink says, growth in grace is a growth downward. It is, the, it is the, listen to this, the forming of a lower estimate of ourselves. It is a deepening realization of our nothingness. It is a heartfelt recognition that we are not worthy of the least of God's mercy. God is saying, if you're going to grow deep, you got to realize, I ain't nothing without God. And I'm willing to deny myself and deny what I want to follow him. That's what God is after. He's after a deeper relationship than him just blessing you and opening the door and giving you a car and giving you a house. He wants to know, can I strip you of everything and you still praise me? Can, can, Can I let the storm come in your life and you still worship me while the rain is coming down on your head? That's what God is after. He says, deny yourself. I couldn't even get to point two and point three. That's all you need today. Everybody standing. I want you to do something. This is going to sound unusual. This is going to sound weird, but this is what the Lord is leading me to do. Um, the, the, the harsh reality is is that in order for us to deny ourselves we have to be broken before him I was looking up that word brokenness and I discovered something brokenness does not mean crying because you can cry and not be broken biblical brokenness means I bring my heart in alignment with what God says because my heart don't want to be in alignment with what he says I want to do what I want to do God is saying a broken spirit is someone that says I know how I feel I know what I think but I believe God above it so here's what I need you to do I need you to get on your mind the sin that you refuse to let go of. The things that you have told yourself, "Ah, it's all right, God know my heart. The thing you have given yourself excuses to keep on doing. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, get it on your mind right now. It's not for everybody. But for those that truly want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, with that on your mind, I need you to tell the Lord, break me again. It might hurt. I might cry. I might struggle with it. I might try to say, no, I can't do this. But I will not wiggle out your will. Lift your hands and tell the Lord, break me all over again. Come on, lift your hands and just tell the Lord, break me, break me, break me, break me, break me. I can't keep living like this. Break me. I can't keep not pleasing you and living for you. Break me all over again. I want to be right before you. I want to be right before you. Come on, tell the Lord, break me all over again. Break my will. Break my ambitions. Break my desires. Break my drive for it. Break me all over again. Come on, tell the Lord, break me, break me, break me. Come on. I know this is uncomfortable, but you need to tell the Lord, break me. I can't keep living this way. I want you to get the glory out of my life. God, we thank you for your word on today. Thank you for the power of your word. God, we have to be honest. This was uncomfortable. Because you confronted some stuff in us that we did not want to confront. See, our flesh would rather shout over what doesn't please you. Our flesh would rather serve over what you don't like. But God, we're calling our life into alignment to your word. We agree with you. It is sin, God. We agree with you. It is sin, God. We agree with you. It does not please you what we're doing. So, God, we confess it before you. Break us all over again. Give us the ability, the strength to turn down what we want to say yes to. Give us the strength, God, to slay our own selves and die every single day we get up out the bed. Give us the ability, God. Help us, God, in this, in this time of discipleship to be who you call us to be. And even if we struggle with it for months or years, God, we're willing to say yes to you and no to ourselves. I need you to lift your hands and for the next 30 seconds, I need you to tell God, yes, I tell you yes, I tell you yes, I tell you yes. When I don't feel like it, I tell you yes. When I struggle with it, I tell you yes. When I want to tell you no, I tell you yes. Put a yes down in our spirit. Put a yes down in our mind. Put a yes down in our will. We want to be broken for you. We tell you yes, God. surrender to you. We give up. Break us, God. Break us. Break this pride. Break this arrogance. Break this self-will. Break this self-assurance. Break our motivations. Break us, God. Break us, God. Break us. Break us. Break us. Break us. God, break us. Break us. We keep hurting our own selves. Break us, God. Because we know if you break us, God, if you break us, you can put us back together again. God, I thank you. Break us. Till our answer is yes. We want to be broken before you. And we thank you now. And we bless you. 
take the next few moments and thank God. Thank God. Thank God for the breaking. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you loved us enough to confront us. Thank you that you loved us enough to tell us the truth. Thank you that you loved us enough that you gave us space to get it together. Thank you that you didn't give up on us. Thank you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands and give the Lord the best praise you can. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus for yourself, if you're unsure of your salvation, you've never confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I came to introduce you to a man that can make your life brand new and change your life forever. If you know you're not saved or unsure of your salvation, God says all you got to do is confess.